Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, today we are joined by Wayne McCulloch. Welcome, Wayne. Thank you. Great to be here. And I said we, I never speak in the royal we third person. I also have Jess Kleck, our head of enterprise sales for financial services with us. Hello, Jeremy. Good to be back as always. Uh, Wayne is the global head of customer success for Google Cloud SaaS products. And even more relevant to today, he is also the author of a recently published book called The Seven Pillars of Customer Success. Listeners know I read a lot of books, and I think I've read every book on customer success, and this, to me, is the best one I have ever read, so high praise for the book. It has both the seven pillars which is in the title, and then actually something we might focus a little bit more on is the 10 tools that feather into those seven pillars, so we'll talk about those sorts of things. We'd love to get to know Wayne a little bit before we start talking, geeking out, I guess, on work stuff. What are you doing non-work-wise to keep yourself busy as we hopefully are on the waning days of lockdown here? During the waking hours, I'll call them. Uh, I have a couple of daughters, two and a half and five. Uh, so I spend as much time with them because I'm in this very limited period where we're not traveling and I get to spend every day doing everything with them. In the sleeping hours when everyone's asleep, I like to catch up on my favorite sport, which is Australian rules football, and follow my club Collingwood, which is having a devastatingly shocking year this year. But I still enjoy the sport. Hopefully it catches on here one day. I'm going to ask you a question that I know you've been doing a little bit of the podcast circuit, and I'm not sure if you've been on Andrew Michael's show, churn.fm yet. So I'll prep you for the question he's going to ask you when you get on his show at the end. And he asked this question, which is basically, if you were to join a new company and you had to take one how-to action to improve net retention, uh, what would it be? And, And while you're thinking about that, he has the caveat that it can't simply be that you're going to go in and do a bunch of research because that's everybody's standard answer. You just have to do something. Assume it's a SaaS, you know, a SaaS company. Unfortunately, you took away my answer because the very first thing I do is employ a third-party company to interview every customer that left. While that was going on, my time would then be spent talking to current customers saying, what do you love about what we do for you? Where are the gaps? And then after 30 days, sort of bring those two findings together, then spend the next 30 days talking to people inside my own organization, asking them why this happened, why that doesn't happen, what's the inhibitor, what's the blocker. So that would then give me an understanding of, okay, I understand where the challenges are, particularly around moments of truth. I understand where the the challenges are in actually solving that. So that then sets the next 30 days of saying, okay, we're going to go take the low-hanging fruit, the things we can go take care of now and immediately, process changes, policy changes, whatever it is, go do that now so that within 90 days, we're impacting and having a positive impact on the customer base that we have today and the new customers coming in while setting the long-term strategy of what are these some of the things that are tech debt, data challenges around governance, things that are going to take longer to solve that I need to muster other parts of the organization to come in for a longer-term strategy. Wow. I love that. It reminds me of something that we do, and we, we haven't done it for long, but in the realm of talent, we have started doing this thing called a stay interview, which is like with our talent internally. So instead of doing exit interviews when it's too late and they've already accepted a new role and you've lost top talent, we're doing stay interviews, which is like, hey, tell me what you love about working here. Tell me why you stay here. And I think that idea is kind of really relevant to what you said about 
really interviewing your customers and not just when they're at risk, but interviewing them to understand why they are still a customer. What do you perceive like some of the challenges with other companies not doing that? Like why aren't more companies doing stay interviews with their customers? I think the biggest challenge is most companies, especially in customer success, are very reactive. And they're reactive because that's how we've kind of grown up because CSM 1.0 was all about, hey, we're selling this SaaS product. People can leave at any time. It's easy to trial and jump in and jump out. And we need someone there to sort of plug the product gaps, to, to run interference, to help with escalations. And all that stuff was where we were born from. And unfortunately, what's happened is over time, the value of a CSM has gone up the value chain, becoming more value-driven, value expansion, helping to drive, become a growth engine. And, and a lot of companies are experiencing that. The organizations around them might not necessarily have come along with them and it's still thinking of them as a reactive firefighting mode, as I call it in the book. Like that's where we believe you should be. And actually preventing them from going to the third level of CSM, which is that strategic advisor. I know our product. I know your industry. I know you as a company. Here's how you can digitally transform your organization for customer experience or revenue or quality or whatever the things you're driving. Here's how to go do it and give them that advice and help them on that journey. So I, I think it's that that notion that most CS functions are reactive. And i got to be honest here, we're really nice, empathetic people in customer success. <laughs> we let people put us in that box. And I think it's time for us to sort of step up. I think sales is really good at this. Like they step up and say, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is how we're going to measure it. And they have process and discipline and they do it so well. And I'm like, CS could take a, a leaf from that book and get out of this reactive mode to become more beneficial to a customer because then that proactiveness comes in. Why do you love working with us? What is so good? Why isn't all our customers experiencing that? Like, what is that scaling mechanism we're missing? What is that process that's missing? What's that playbook? What's that, whatever it is, like really get to understand what customers love. We focus so much on churn and we focus so much on customers leaving. We forget most customers stay. That's a beautiful sort of treasure trove of information. And so it's that proactiveness, I think, that sometimes is missing. You know, you, you've worked at some amazing places, obviously, Google, you got there by way of acquisition from Looker, you were at Salesforce when Salesforce was a much smaller company, HP, IBM, like you, you have definitely been at some insanely great companies. As you reflect on your time at those companies, a CS strategy that, that you're super proud of that had the biggest impact on the business when you applied it. In one organization, I was able to bring the customer community into the success function that changed the game. Because when you talk about scaling for smaller customers, when you talk about building relationships, when you talk about voice of the customer, when you talk about plugging in product to the customer, when you talk about creating a single pane of glass into your company, so I'm not logging into the training side, the doc side, the product side, the demo side, the marketing, like all these horrible experiences. Once we brought that into success and said, this is the entry point to the company and customer success owns that and gates it, marketing, CS, support, everyone's sending all these surveys and people are getting hit from multiple areas. We could coordinate, we could focus, we could react when people responded, which I hate when you fill out a survey and no one says anything or you just get a stock standard, thank you. You're like, well, did you listen? Did you read it? So bringing that community in for me was a game changer. I'm just like, Every company I'm at, I'm, I'm advocating to move the customer community into the customer success function for that reason and many more. What does that actually mean more tactically on bringing the community into the success function? It, it's, it's all of those things. It's like 
any interaction with the customer, I think if you can funnel it through a single tunnel, you can actually then understand how much is going in and and collect everything that's coming out. When different groups do it themselves, there's an advisory board over in marketing, PS has their NPS survey, see it, um, support has their customers, you know, satisfaction. When I talk about customer community, I, I talk about the customers themselves and the communication and interaction is happening through one platform. And a community platform is a cool way to do that. Now, most community platforms aren't built that way. They're built for ticket deflection, Q&A, you know. But there are some platforms out there that are actually pretty cool at doing this. Inside is one, Chorus is one. They think more broadly about what you need to do with customers and how you communicate as a community and then put that under the guise of customer success, which is primarily responsible for the journey. They don't own all the moments of truth. The whole company does. But CS kind of has that responsibility to make sure those moments of truth are being executed. This gives the the customer success team a platform to enable that to happen. Because otherwise, you're just running around trying to influence other teams. And hey, when you send something out, let me know. Like it's just It just becomes too hard to manage, particularly at scale. I see QBRs as always something that is nebulous between who owns what between the salesperson, the CSM. And typically what we see with CS is it's very much around how, you know, looking backwards, how are we doing looking forwards? I'd love to hear your perspective on best practices around engaging sales and CS at that QBR EBR moment, and maybe how you've leveraged technology to do that successfully. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things here. First of all, a customer success plan owned by the CSM is a jointly shared document between customer sales, success, anyone in the company that defines where we're trying to get to and how to get there. It creates an opportunity in the account plan that sales owns that's not shared with the customer to actually then strategize around what the CSM is seeing as far as opportunities for value expansion inside the company, what that looks like from an execution. So you can coordinate. So the account plan brings all that together, whereas the CSP, the customer success plan is, hey, Mr. Customer, you're trying to get here. You're right here now. We actually recommend you look at these things. And so that's when I use the term uptelling. Sales organizations that understand that success is a growth engine and not this reactive engine, they're the ones that have the most success. You can see the data that gets done on this various companies, but the reality is the customer success manager's job is to continually uptell value. As a customer, you're getting this much value. If you use this service, if you use this product or these other products, you can go do this. I've got customers that are having amazing success by doing this thing that you're not doing. Can I connect you with them? Just have a quick chat to see what they're doing. And then that creates what's called a CSQL, a customer success qualified lead that goes into the CRM like any other MQL or any other process from marketing. Like it's going to get looked at, it's going to get taken on, it's going to be agreed to and work through the process. And I find CSQLs close around 85% of the time compared to MQLs are usually around 15 to 20, depending on the company. So when sales starts to see uh, CSQLs come in, they're like, oh, this is almost like guaranteed deal. We know the people, we know the relationships, we know the budgets, we know, we know all this stuff that an MQL sh- might struggle to get a hold of because marketing has a much harder job at trying to work all that stuff out before and, and you know BDRs and SDRs and other stuff. So CSMs are in the perfect place to put a, a salesperson in the right place to go close a deal. And once sales and CS work out that relationship, the growth engine that CS is, they're not selling, they don't do commercials, they don't talk pricing, they're not even selling. 
they're just uptelling value. And by giving evidence of other customers and other examples and, and just simply saying, look, you can take advantage of this if you'd like. And if the customer's like, yes, I'm interested, bam, that's a great opportunity to expand value. And sales can go close their quotas and deals much easier if they allow CS to do that. And if CS understands their job is not to sell, their job is to tell, is to uptell value, is to show other opportunities. And so once for me, when you talk about QBR and EBRs and those sort of things, it's exactly the same environment, right? The CSM is talking about here are other things we've explored. We've connected you with these other customers. They're having great value here. I think we should take the next step. What's that next step? A POC. Cool. Well, here's the team over here that's going to come in and help you with that. It's pre-sale, sale, whatever. Like that coordination, once we get that PB and J action happening between sales and CS, I, I think that growth engine is allowed to to flourish. You hit a bunch of great topics. Um, I was actually reading an article earlier today that was discussing how interviews are basically theater. And when you ask questions to try to uncover behavioral traits, you're going to get maybe the truth, maybe not. I'm curious how you test for empathy. How, How do you establish that in an interview? Yeah, definitely a lot of behavioral type questions and scenarios. It's simple things like, You've been given two tasks. They're both due tomorrow. They're both really important. Which one do you do? It's amazing the variety of answers. You know, toss a coin. Uh, which one does my boss care about? Like you just get, you go through all this process and the goal is not the right answer. The goal is what's the thought process? You're looking for things like, well, who are the customers that I'm servicing? Like is one internal, is one external? Like you're looking for that. What do I care about as an individual? What is important to me when making decisions? And so asking a series of questions that are just extracting how they think, like the first go-to, you see a pattern after a while. You can work out if someone has empathy or not. And then you can work on empathy as well. Like you can help people understand if they have that element, that baseline empathy, you can help say, sort of think about the tone in which you talk to someone. You ask questions like that. You're looking for that instinctive, this is how I think and behave, as opposed to give me an example of when you had a a tough customer and they'll be like, they could make that up, right? But if you just give them these generic examples, you're looking at that thought process and that's the key. I want to circle back around to the CSQL concept. You can see both Jess and I are are enthralled by that one. There's a a never-ending debate about the level of commercial responsibilities that CSM should have. One end of the spectrum is, you know, you could pay them for revenue closed. Another end of the spectrum is there's a, you know, there's like an expectation, a soft expectation that they should generate CSQLs. And I guess the middle is to give them a CSQL quota. Where do you land in that spectrum? You don't have to do CSQLs. It's not mandatory. But we have a very attractive spiff that sales funds because the margin on upselling existing customers is so much bigger. So we have some flexibility on the margin and finance is okay with that. So sales will fund the SPIF to say, if you find a CSQL, put it in the system, we work it and close it, you're going to get one, two, three percent of the deal. Now, CSMs that come in from the sales or account management or that side of the house, this is like gold. They love it. They sit down and they do all the sales trainings they've got on, you know, value selling and like all the techniques they've learned. They bring it into that function and they make a killing. Other people that are just like, that's not my competency. I don't come from there. I come from another part of the world that you know doesn't focus on that. But what happens is over time, more and more people start getting some money, making some money. And eventually some CSMs are like, well, actually, I wouldn't mind making a little bit of extra money. This spiffs a way to do it. 
help me understand, look at my customer base, you know, work with other CSMs, say, help me work out how to create, find more value in an account. But it's really not a selling motion. Like most CSMs are constantly looking for ways to add value. So they don't typically see it. So I would say 90% of the CSMs, when you don't make a mandatory, but it's a spiff, will still take advantage of it, even if they're not deliberately doing it. And most customers want more value. Most customers want to do things better. Most customers want to be more efficient. And if you can provide that, it's not a it's not a sales conversation. It's a value conversation at that point. This got me thinking about other ways that sales and CS should work together. And I, I don't remember if that was in the book. So maybe we'll go into uncharted territory for what you know what I'm aware of. What what are some of your do's and don'ts for the ways that AEs should partner with their CSMs? The big one for me, and it's in the book, and it's pillar number eight pre-boarding, I think we get confused that customers onboard after you've closed the deal. And that's not true, right? Customers onboard way before then. You are having very intimate discussions about the company's challenges, needs, desires, outcomes. And all of that is what a CSM is responsible for making sure is realized. And so the biggest mistake I see is we do all of that in the absence of CS. CS is once you close a deal, oh, now you're a customer all right, I'm a customer success manager, not a prospect success manager, but we've got it all wrong because once you bring the CSM in, for example, and a CSM is part of the conversation and says, oh yeah, I have a whole set of playbooks. I've done this a million times. They can bring all that marketing stuff, but under the guise of success or just simply be there to listen and capture so that when the handoff comes from the prospect to becoming a, a customer contractually, There's not this weird handover of sales saying, well, here's a bunch of stuff we found and now here it is and we'll sit down with you for an hour. It's already known. It's already in the system. The CSM is capturing the value statements. It's putting it all in the CRM. And when the deal closes, the CSM is like, well, that was great. Now let's get to work. Like we've got this decided. Now we've got to go implement this thing. And so I'm going to be with you every step of the way. So I think there's opportunities in the pre-sales that just isn't taken advantage of. And I think sales comes across way more like, we got you. Not, not only are we selling you this amazing solution, but I've got a team here that makes this like your insurance of making sure it's successful. Let me bring them in so you can get to know them. And then that's an opportunity to sell the customer on your capability to make them successful, not just with the product, but with you as a company. The uh, Well, we know we didn't even really scratch the surface on all the 10 tools and seven pillars, but I do wanted to, did want to ask one final sort of line of questions, which is so many companies that I walk into that have customer success, the CSMs in actuality, and probably to their own frustration, are serving as tier two technical support, right? Like they are in that reactive mode that you mentioned when we first started. If a company is is operating in that mode, which so many are, what advice do you have for them to switch out of that and have their CSMs be truly proactive value engineers, value producers, as opposed to high-end customer support? What worked for me, so hopefully this is works for others, is I had to look at the reason why they were in that situation. So I didn't start with, hey, you you got you're not second level support. You've got to be more proactive. We're gonna tell everyone we're not gonna help with it. I didn't go that route. I went the route of what is the problem that's causing them to be in this situation? Is it a product problem? Is it a support organization problem? Is it like I mentioned earlier, there are 12 different places to go to find out the answers. So you just go to the one person you have in your account. It's much easier, right? But if I could put all those 12 things behind one pane of glass with a single sign-on, go solve that problem so that it's easy for someone to go straight in, find what they need. Or if it's support, okay, we have a challenge, we don't use chat, we're not using modern, you know, omni-channel, like 
try to understand what the reason is for that to exist, because I can guarantee you that the CSMs are being used to plug a gap somewhere else in the company and no one's addressing it because someone's taking care of it and it's the wrong team. And I'm advocating saying just because we're nice and empathetic, we say, yeah, sure, we can help. We'll do that. It's not huge value add. All you're doing is plugging a gap. And so no wonder CS doesn't get the funding, doesn't have enough heads, doesn't, it's not driving growth and CSQLs. It's doing stuff because some other function typically has not solved a problem they have. And to have an honest conversation and say, go solve that because that frees up our people to go do value add, grow revenue, retain customers, create advocates and all the things that CSMs should be doing, not running interference escalations. Um, So that would be my advice is go find out what's wrong. There's no fault here. It's just that capacity got added in each place. The fact that CSMs are taking on support tickets is masking the fact that the company does not have enough customer support in place. I'll bring it full circle with one of my favorite points from our conversation, which is, are you doing the things that you need to do to get that person promoted? Which I think that's that's the North Star. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with people pivoting in from other functions. If you come from support, you'll naturally want to be that role. Come from consulting, you'll naturally be doing more of that understanding the business. If you come from sales, you're going to look for opportunities to expand. And we should take advantage of those skills, but it needs to be directed and, and understood and tracked. I really, I really do think there's opportunities here for every post-first sale function to think about how they're doing their role and how it's impacting the customer and looking for those opportunities to help each other be better for the customer. But ultimately, it allows the teams to, you know, like you said, I bet there's, you know, support's too expensive. We've got to get ticket deflection, send them all to the community or the docs. Like we've got to lower ticket cost. And I'm like, that is finance running a customer experience sometimes, not all the time. But I can tell you at Looker, we did real-time chat. We had average 23-second response time to any question, 90-plus percent first chat resolution, 98% customer satisfaction. Number two reason Gartner says buy Looker is for this in the product, in the moment. We always say we don't need a ticket for anything other than a concert or a plane. Like You shouldn't have to put a support ticket in. That's just a horrible experience. And so functions grow and build this support thing and there's 24-hour, you know, SLAs and 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 they're so inefficient. It will never make money and will always be underfunded and is always going to create problems as a company. And then you start outsourcing and you do. There's actually better ways to do it that are just as cost effective, if not better, from an experience standpoint. That allows the other functions to go do what they do best. Uh, well, we we unfortunately need to wrap it up. Wayne, thank you for being on. Thanks for having me. You guys were great. Thank you, Wayne. It was I learned so much and. Um... Yeah, absolutely thrilled with your book. I think to Jeremy's point, a lot of really actionable things in there, which is which is so useful. I'll urge folks to pick it up. Again, it's the seven pillars of customer success. And uh, I have highlighted and underlined like half the book. So thank you. <laughs> well, there's a website, cspillars.com. You can go download all the graphics inside the book if you want to download them. Uh, you can also reach out to me if you have questions. I love to help people on their customer success journey, just like people helped me. So Hopefully I can get back some, Um, but yeah, check it out. Thanks for having me guys. I really enjoyed being here. I love your show and I can't wait to, uh, to watch what comes out next from you guys. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.